0: Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development, where Andrew and I talk to experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. All right, welcome to episode 95 of the Office 365 Developer Podcast. What's up, coach? How's it going? Hey man,
1: I'm I'm really pleased to be back a second week. I wasn't sure you're going to have me back after last week, but uh, but it's good fun.
0: It, we, the, no one like pulled out the gong, so uh, <laughs> made it. You survived another week. It's oh, that's like awesome. being, uh, I've
1: it's had like some great the, feedback too. I want to say thanks to a bunch of people who are out there who've uh, who've sent me some congratulatory emails and and some and some encouraging words. So that's that's very very pleasant of them.
0: You're a popular guy, man. So uh, it's, it's cool to cool to have you on. How's uh, how are things in you guys in Australia? Are are starting your winter? Is that right?
1: We're we're deep into into the into the depths of midwinter. I think it's going to be eighteen degrees Celsius here today. I've got my t-shirt on, but I've got a but I've got my jeans on instead of my shorts.
0: Nice. Well, we're yeah. um, in Texas. This is like the blistering heat starting. So I don't know what what it translates to for Celsius, but we're already starting it in the high like nineties Fahrenheit. Yeah. And, right. uh, here in a couple of weeks, we'll be hitting triple digits for sure. So. Awesome.
1: Well, that, that's something to look forward to. Maybe you might be able to get away somewhere a bit further north to, to cool down a bit uh, in the middle of July.
0: Hey, as long as my air conditioner stays working, <laughs> knock on wood. So,
1: that's it. Absolutely. Cool. Well,
0: well, we had a relatively quiet week. You know, we had a lot of things queued up from last week, but probably the biggest announcement that we have was the the big acquisition. So Microsoft went into... Uh, announced we're acquiring LinkedIn a, a $26 billion deal huge it's just enormous was, were you expecting this
1: no not, what, not even close uh, the only thing I was hanging out for this week were the E3 announcements and they, they really gazumped it
0: yeah yeah I so mean, it's
1: uh, very very nice stuff it, I, I, so I'm particularly excited about this because uh, you know Later on in the show, we've got Matt, uh, Matt on, and with the, 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 one of the things he talks about is this idea of being able to drive stuff with data. And, and if you want to be able to drive things with data, then getting, this, getting your hands on the sort of data that, that LinkedIn has acquired, that is, uh, that, that's pretty phenomenal.
0: Yeah, I know that um, one of one of our colleagues, as soon as this announcement was made, sent us an email behind the scenes talking about, hey, I can already see it now. You know, like now having like some of these endpoints and things like the Microsoft graph and being able to traverse things and being able to um, uh, get all the insights around how things relate. So I, I agree. I mean, it's I think of all the things, it's probably the biggest announcement for probably the office 365 space and kind of what what it, its impact will be over time
1: i think it's, it's phenomenal and, and the the idea that that we understand how to authenticate against a bunch of different endpoints and linkedin just being another part of that 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 structure that 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 tree that that will allow you to to sort of branch out from from where you are to where you've been to where you're going to go that's uh that's phenomenal there's, there's some really exciting prospects there i think
0: the, the blogosphere was pretty funny and and Twitter and things like that um, Sahil Malik, Malik who we had on the show uh, a few a few weeks back he had a really funny one it was like hey Microsoft now that you own LinkedIn can you get rid of recruiters on it <laughs> 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 and, and my request is to get rid of endorsements i am always like I, I'll get I'll get endorsements from people that I've not even met before right. and I'm like Really? really, you're yeah, going to exactly. endorse
1: me? Yeah, and and that, that cheapens the whole thing, right? You think now this person's got all these endorsements, but I know how they got them. <laughs> they got them from people they got no idea about. Anyway, very good. I, I think you're right. Um, uh, but but the the whole idea of being able to traverse that graph and 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 uh, find me someone I know who knows this person that's that's a great question, right? Then that that sort of thing will be uh, will be phenomenally easy to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, very cool stuff. So well, yeah. it, it'll certainly. Be something we'll watch closely over the next uh, next few months and year. Uh, I already joked that uh, Yina Arenas, who we've had on the show before and owns the Microsoft Graph, I think her job just got a whole lot bigger. So we'll uh, yeah. we'll have to yeah. have her on again soon.
1: Absolutely. So in terms
0: of like community things for the week, um, a, a few things I'll throw out there. There's a new Office Dev Show. It's episode 33 that uh, went live this week, and it's on. Add-in commands and the new Office tooling for Visual Studio. So um, the new tooling, when you go and create an Office add-in project, it, it automatically adds some of the add-in commands so that you can go in the manifest and at least get, it doesn't have the builder, unfortunately, for building like, like more advanced add-in commands, but at least gives you an idea of what um, those look like.
1: Right. This is, this is neat. Um, one of the things I found interesting about these new this, this, this new set of tooling is that it, Goes away from the what? What I thought of the traditional way of uh, of, of creating add-ins, where it asks you what what platform you're targeting, so which apps you're targeting, and so on. You need you need to do that sort of stuff up front. So that was an interesting change for me.
0: Yep. Um, another interesting one here. I, I put this because I I'd like I'm going to try to like challenge him to be on the show as well. Is uh, Tobias Zimmergreen? He uh, had Jeff Teeper on the show, so Jeff is. Ultimately in charge of all of SharePoint, uh, and is making obviously huge impact on on that product. If you followed the May fifth announcement, and so I'm I'm trying to think on it. Like I almost want to put the gauntlet down and, and tell Teeper that he needs to be on the show for our hundredth episode here coming up in about a month. <laughs> but uh, I thought yeah, that was cool that he found. He'll the be time. fighting with
1: Jeremy for that for that one. I, I would have thought Jeremy would to come back for a hundred.
0: Well, we can have both of them. Oh, it'll well, just, there you
1: go. Smackdown. Just,
0: we'll have like a big like reunion and <laughs> uh Jeff Teeper Fest, so uh,
1: we we might we might even be able to do something like that if we got together when we were all in Redmond at the same time, sit around a a table with some microphones, you never know.
0: Yeah, that's true. I forgot that we have uh we have some uh th- common things in Redmond coming up in in July, late July.
1: Yeah. Very cool.
0: Um, A few of these other ones, I'm going to knock through these uh, because we have a really good show with Matt Veloso where we're going to talk about bots. But um, on the same kind of front around SharePoint, uh, Chris O'Brien, who's like one of my favorite bloggers and guys in the dev space, he wrote a post on developing client web parts using the SharePoint framework. So, um, again, you know, SharePoint framework, there's nothing newer and um, more exciting in the SharePoint world right now than what's going on there. And so he gave you kind of a, a step-by-step of, of
1: developing those. Lots of cool stuff there. Yeoman, Yeoman included in there uh, a bunch of gulp tasks and, and, and serving nodes. Uh, so this is the new world. Get it, Get onto it.
0: Um another one, Mark Rackley, who's I always joke being he's kind of the client side, like master hacker of SharePoint. He does a lot of things in like putting content editor web parts and then loading them with script to completely manipulate a page. He had a post that was just talking about doing digital signatures in SharePoint. I know that's again a, a pretty popular thing to do. Uh you know, we have great partners like DocuSign that have a, a like a, a more like comprehensive, like enterprise scale solution to that, but Mark shows you how to do it uh, pretty simply with some of the things that he's done there.
1: That's really neat too. I, I like it a lot, and the idea that you can store it in a single text field is is very very cool.
0: Yep. And then finally, Mark Anderson, uh, and I somehow missed that Mark had done a series on this, but he did a series on creating a simple SharePoint. Uh, employee directory using some of the search technology. So leveraging things like the user profiles, but then going more advanced to create things like custom display templates for those and doing custom sorting and refining. And so he's, he's put out part five of this. So definitely check that out. It's a whole series and there's probably not an organization in the world, unless you're tiny that couldn't use a good employee directory and, and you have the, the tools in your tool belt to be able to deliver that.
1: It's awesome. As as always, there's a link to that in the show notes.
0: Cool. Well, uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into the show with Matt Beloso. Matt's on my team in DX, and he is a a really, really cool developer that does some really exciting things, done a lot of viral stuff, but he's kind of become Mr. Bot at Microsoft. And so we're going to talk to him a little bit about what he's been doing with bots, and um, he's even written some libraries so that we can actually – talk to things like the Microsoft Graph from a bot. So uh, let's check it out. All right, welcome to episode 95 of the Office 365 Developer Podcast. I, I think this is a really treat this week. We have Matt Veloso, who's actually on my team within DX, joining us. Matt, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Hey, guys. Cool. So, Matt, um, why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself? You've kind of lived all over the place, huh? <laughs>
2: Uh, Yes, so I'm originally from Brazil Uh, for quite a few years I had my own consulting company there we did we were Microsoft partners so I know pretty much how how it feels to run a startup and the problems you have and so on so we we did that for seven years and then one day I say you know what I I want to go live somewhere else so I left Brazil and went to New Zealand uh, for no specific reason (laughs) And then I I worked in a few companies there, and eventually I I got into Microsoft. I started working for Microsoft in New Zealand as a consultant Microsoft Consulting Services. So pretty much doing projects with customers, enterprise customers in New Zealand. Uh, And then eventually uh, I got to know people from our evangelism group, right? Evangelism is the part of Microsoft that takes care of uh, platform adoption, developers adoption, this sort of thing. And then I kind of fell in love with that, uh, did that for a little while. And eventually I, I got a job offer in the U.S. And uh, initially I went to work with Microsoft IT. <laughs> so Microsoft has a IT department, like most customers also have IT departments. And I was in the architecture group in the Microsoft IT for a couple of years. And then eventually I went back to evangelism, do, do what I love the most. And uh, initially, when, when I joined this group in, uh, in an evangelism group, I was, uh, in our team, I was the only guy who knew a little bit on Office 365. So all those Office 365 things fell on my lap. And then, thank God, Richard came up at some point. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, yes, here it goes. You can do all these things and it can go work with other things. And I went work with uh, a bunch of other parts of our technologies. I started focusing a little bit more on the cognitive APIs, machine learning. Uh, now I'm doing a little bit of uh, bot framework, bot development as well. So uh, I, I, I get bored very easily. So I like to jump from one thing to another
0: uh, all the time. Well, it Very seems cool. like it's it's impossible for you to uh, completely rid yourself of Office because of a lot of the identity stuff you've done, into it, it seems like, huh?
2: Right. Those things work together a lot. It's hard to talk about Office development and not talking about authentication, authorization, all these sort of things.
0: So for our listeners, I, I wanted to just because I don't think Matt will probably be more humble around this, but um, there are a few things that I think Matt did that made a pretty significant impact on what you do in Office 365 today as a developer. One of those is the Microsoft graph years ago. I don't know. It was probably two years ago. Um, my group went through this long period of looking at like, like standards around APIs, looking at what competitors were doing, how, how does Facebook make it easy to call APIs? How does Google make it easy to define an application? And and basically, Matt created this, like, huge specification around, like, what would be, like, ideal for Microsoft to deliver APIs. And that kind of came to fruition with the Microsoft Graph.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm really afraid of saying the... the so there are many components that, that drove the, the Microsoft Graph. I think the, the office guys, they were already looking at it. It's not like we say, hey, have you ever thought about it? Yeah, they, they were thinking about it. But uh, Richard and I, our our boss's boss's boss is a guy called John Chuchuk. He's a technical fellow. So technical fellow is, if you want to be an individual contributor at Microsoft, this is as high as you can go as, as that. Just a very few guys... Uh, get to that point. And, and John is, is is great work with John because he's the kind of guy who likes to go and cause a bunch of disruption when he sees that we are not moving to the right direction and he goes and shakes things around and, and shows what the competition is doing and creates some prototypes and he, he's a heavy coder. So the first task he, he gave me when I, I came to this this group was, hey, just compare APIs. Compare how we do things versus how these other guys do things, and and there were many things we do better, I think, and there were things we we didn't do so well. And, and one of the things I felt uh, we felt that were hard was that um, when you are a developer and you were talking to Exchange Online or OneDrive or all these things, each one of these things exists as a separate product in a different endpoint that requires different tokens. And it, it gets very hard for a developer to go put these things together in an application, especially when each one of these endpoints speaks a different language, right? It speaks a different web service standard. And that was one of the things we, we felt like this, this is, it doesn't have to be so hard. But the reality is that, that many, many people at Microsoft were already aware of this problem. They were already working on it. And I think that just, it was just a reinforcement of what they already knew, right? And uh, there was this movement uh, happening inside Microsoft that were, it was driving this, we need to create a, a virtual team of people who know a lot about web services that should sit together and figure out, okay, this is it, Microsoft. We're, we're going to do things this way and everybody should follow Uh, uh, this standard. And so we have this internal group today called OneAPI. There are lots and lots of smart folks from uh, Office, from Azure, from pretty much anywhere in the company who try to keep things very simple and and pragmatic, right? Let's not overcomplicate things and let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's try to solve problems in a pragmatic way. So, so that was a good experience. Uh, I, don't, I, I didn't really make anything happen. It was just the guys saying, hey, by the way, these other guys are doing things this way. Maybe we should look at some of that.
1: Very cool. So one of the things that fascinates me is that um, as part of that this huge organization, you've got to convince everybody that they're going to fit in with this, this set of endpoints. That must be one of the most difficult tasks that you, that you have to do. The, the idea that that, uh, that you 're going to prescribe that that you 're going to use this particular set of uh, APIs this particular set of uh, formats for for the JSON that comes back, this particular set of uh, re- requirements for which verbs you 're going to use and so on. how do you go about doing that in, in a way that uh, that makes it uh, possible to, to bring all those yeah. APIs together
2: I tell you what when, we, when you were in a discussion group where Everybody else is a technical fellow, a partner director, some guy who leads a whole bunch of products, and they all start debating about different opinions on how things should be happening. Most of the time, I just shut up and listen. <laughs> but um, I was telling John. I, I remember. At some sometimes things can get a little bit political. Sometimes there is no right or wrong. It's just how people personally prefer something. For example, if you ever built web services, I'm pretty sure, very likely, you ever had this discussion about how you should version web services. And if you search around the web, there are hundreds of blogs. Each one of them are 100% right about their way they're proposing the versioning, and they're all different, right? (laughs) And there is, sure, there there are uh, different views on things. And I was telling John how it gets to a point where the technology is the easy part, the people is where it gets really hard and when it gets to a certain level at Microsoft and want to make larger changes happen it's really all about people it's not about technology anymore and so I don't know, there is no recipe it's is what I've learned is is whenever you're going to let's say, quote-unquote, point fingers to something and say something is broken, and should change, uh, you better come up with data to back you up, right? Because you may be talking to someone several levels above you, and they may have a whole different opinion on what things are and how things are and why. Uh, If all you have is your opinion, then you kind of have nothing. But if you can bring some data and show, hey, this is how things work in our environments. This is how competitors do it. This is how hard it gets to a developer to do these things. And here's some data. Then, then you have something. And then it's easier to go convince a bunch of people uh, to, to, to change the way they do things.
1: It does, it does um, uh, uh, hearten me a little bit to think that, that you can convince people with data. I like that idea.
2: <laughs> uh, I would say data. It's hard to deny data. Uh, uh, it's there,
0: right, right in your face, uh, and you can deny it for a while, but not forever, right? Right. So, Matt, another thing that I think is really interesting is you. I, in a lot of ways, I call you the mad scientist because it feels like you're always uh, producing something that is going viral. Uh, so, I wanted to maybe talk about a couple of the viral projects you've worked on. Um, So one was, um, tell us a story about Twins or Not. I'm guessing there's probably a lot of our listeners that saw Microsoft come up with this little microsite to see if two people were twins or not, and and, uh, you're kind of the brainchild behind that.
2: Yeah, I I think that's another case where there are lots of brains behind the things and i think to, to explain things or not we need to explain how old.net uh last year during build uh richard and i uh, our team one of the things we do is preparing the keynote demos that you see during build right so whenever you see those execs walking on stage and running those fun things, those, those cool demos. Uh, Richard and I and everybody else, we are behind the stage praying, please, God, don't let this thing break. <laughs> <laughs> because they will. It's the, we built those things. And last year, we wanted to show all the analytics part of Azure. So uh, stream analytics, uh, Power BI, how you can flow data into Azure and do a bunch of cool things with it and show the cognitive APIs and vision and face and so on. So a, uh, a guy from the Azure team, his name is Corum, Corum Thompson. He came with this idea, oh, let's build a site where we upload a photo and we guess the age and gender and show that, right? And that's just so we can generate some data. We can tell the audience to go and upload photos and try it out. And that will generate enough data that we can show on Stream Analytics and Power BI and so on. And it was supposed to be just that, just a silly thing that people try and build, and and that's it, and we're done with it. And he he uh, got a bunch of people. That I can name some of them people who work uh, on on different components of Azure to build this thing. And I didn't really write any code at all in there. I just gave some opinions at that, that best and what we should do or what shouldn't do. But he he built the thing. He's he's the brain behind this thing. And um, the only thing that I can take credit for maybe is uh, I kind of felt this thing would go viral. I had an impression, hey, this, this thing is, it's not just a silly thing. When people start realizing that how fun this can get and they will share all over the Twitter and so on, this can kind of blow up. And and that's when we decided to write a little blog explaining how this thing was built, right? And we wrote an MSDN blog. We put a link on howold.net saying, click here to find out the magic behind of howold.net and you can see all the components we use so developers can go find out more. That link, <laughs> uh, it crashed MSDN. Uh, we took <laughs> MSDN down. Because MSDN doesn't run on Azure. Funny, right? We tell, tell people, hey, go, go use Azure. And we put MSDN somewhere else. And, and how well managed to scale to 200 million photo uploads in a month or some 250 million photo uploads wow. in a month. And it didn't crash. It didn't blink. It didn't, there was no problem whatsoever. Azure did everything you, we tell people Azure does. It did it. But MSDN just crashed and we had to move the blog post somewhere else. So, so because they, they didn't expect that to happen. It was just a super high volume that never happened before MSDN. Uh, And then, so after Build, uh, we did the Build tour. And we went traveling all over the world, demoing these things we presented on Build. So I went to Brazil, Europe, a bunch of places. And then after doing two, three, four of those events, uh, another guy who was with me, Pete Brown, uh, we were in Czech Republic. We just arrived in the hotel and he said, you know what, I'm sick of demoing the same things over and over again. I can't see these demos anymore. Like We got to come up with something new. And we are there sitting in the the hotel and was like, okay, so let's build something similar to how old.net, but now the user will upload two photos and we use the same face API, but this time to tell how similar they look to each other. And so I took ASP.net, like very stupid, very, very, very stupid website. You just upload two photos, call REST API, compare the photos and give the result, right? Uh the source code is on GitHub if you want to see how stupid that is. And it took like three, four hours to build the thing, uh put on Azure. Uh and the next day during the, the, the build tour event in Czech Republic, we showed the thing. We showed, hey, this is this is twins or not, right? And it show it does the same things where, and people liked it and everything else and the the whole thing got done. We went back to the hotel. And then I started receiving calls from Microsoft lawyers. <laughs> That's and, never good. Yeah. And they are like, So, who are you? And so I'm Matt. I work there too. And say, so, yeah, we know. And how do you know that? Yeah, there's lots and lots of people blogging about this Twins or Not thing that you published. And there's your name there all over the place. Did you get a formal approval to do something like that it was no you guys are not getting the picture it was just a demo for event like we just hacked it in three hours that's not a product yeah but you know what it's, we're getting lots of people using it and uh you're not supposed to do things this way i kind of uh they were right like i got told off like that's not how you do things here we we review these things, we review for privacy, we review for security, that like you can't just throw a website and tell people to use it. And the good thing is that we've done many of these things before, so we know, I know what you need to take care of in terms of privacy, security. I, I, for example, we never, ever, ever keep your data. So that's one of the things things are not, doesn't do at all, is keeping your data. Um and so we had to do like an emergency review of the site to make sure, okay, that's, that's about right. That's uh, it's doing all the things it's supposed to do. Maybe we can tweak a few things in terms of uh, uh, license terms and conditions and so on. But other, other than that, it's pretty, pretty fine. And eventually the guys from the Cognitive API say, hey, you know what? Um, I think we can build a, a new version of this thing, like a, quite honestly, a better version of this thing because my one kind of sucked. And they want us to kind of take over this and, and launch a new version that has better support for more browsers and more devices and better user experience? It was like, yes, please. So they built a new version. They took over. We handed over the site to them. Um, and they are running the thing and, and still, still gets users, still gets uh, uh, quite some usage.
1: That's a, that's a great story. It is not so much fun getting that that call from the lawyers, is it? It's uh, that that's a bit of a bit of a clincher. Yeah. But after that, I, <laughs> it's really yeah. Cool.
2: I, I felt I felt really stupid because I know I know exactly like we, we know these things like we know, but we're in my mind I was just building another demo the event, right? It ah. just happened to be a demo that was online, right? I, I didn't. I really didn't feel like this would ever, ever get viral, and that was kind of stupid of me. And I should have thought about that.
1: So that stuff around, uh, uh, around twins or not, is very, very cool. But now, apparently, you're the you're the bots guy. You're Mister Bots now, Matt. So tell us a bit about what bots are and how you've been involved with that.
2: Yeah. So uh, after these two things, after uh, Howold.net and Twins or Not. Um, we kind of started this virtual team of folks who like to build these highly visible demos that can go viral. So, uh, Corum, the guy who, the father of Howold.net, and myself, and a bunch of other folks who, who, who does, who do these things uh, here and there. And Corum, again, he, he's the brain that comes with these cool ideas all the time, and he he thought about this Murphy thing and. Initially, we didn't call it Murphy, we had to figure a name, but we're talking about what if we could build something that can answer what-if questions, like you ask, what if this happened, and, and it could come up with a, an image that would represent this what-if question. And initially, we didn't know if we we're going to build another website or something else. Uh, we Some of us, we wanted to build a website because the website is more visible, but then we thought, you know what? We already did a few of those. We kind of know what happens. We know how the usage looks like after it goes viral for a while and then kind of fades away, and we, we know. What if we try other interfaces? And, and it turns out that build was coming up again, and uh, we were going to announce the bot framework so you can build bots that can surface via Skype and Slack and all these other channels. So why, what if we try to build this as a bot and we went back and forth on that. So uh, Coram built the brain of uh, uh, Murphy. He built all the services that do the logic around uh, parsing the question, understanding how to grab images that represent the question, and do the stitching, replacing faces, and so on. And as he was working on that, I was working on the bot side. And the bot pretty much calls that brain that he built and asks a question and gets the response and shows to the user and then we we tried the bot experience for a while, and we kind of liked it we think it was fun and was different and and the idea that you can bring multiple people to a chat and then you start quest asking questions to Murphy and seeing the response and interacting with your friends as you do it we felt that was a different take on on the whole thing that just a web experience is, that doesn't do that so we we went ahead and and built Murphy and um, we announced that at Build, only on Skype. And then later on, we started showing on other channels, on Facebook, on, on Telegram, uh, on Kick Messenger. And uh, it, 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 it got quite some usage. Uh, I would say our, in our best day, we got something like 500,000 messages in a day. Wow. Wow. Um, it's it, it's a it's a great way of showing hey this is this is the kind of stuff you can go build and it, when initially look at it uh, a user who is not technical looks at this thing it kind of looks like magic that you can ask something like what if I was being chased by an elephant <laughs> and, and the thing just makes it happen your face there on a guy really running from an elephant it kind of looks really really funny but when you look at how we do it it's actually quite quite simple, right? It's just about breaking your question in two parts, running two Bing searches for images, finding faces in the images, and then swapping the faces. Uh, That's it. That's all these markings behind Murphy.
1: You make it sound very simple, Matt, but there's some pretty cool tech there.
2: Yeah, we had to worry about lots of things, about quality, about scalability. Uh, We were really worried about... um, uh, making sure nothing offensive comes up c- comes out of this. So if by accident an image uh, gen- Murphy generates can be uh, offensive in any way, we need to know about it and realize, you know, it doesn't matter how good this thing is. We can never be 100% sure that image was never going to be offensive. So what we really need is a curation system. We need a way of users to tell us, hey, this thing is offending me right now. So he can go and take action and, and fix Murphy so he never does that again. Uh, so we learned a few things about h- how to do this thing. So when you get an image from Murphy, you can reply with a smiley face or a sad face or a scare face. And that's how you tell us, I like this thing, I didn't like this thing, or I think this, this is offensive. And then we can continuously make it
0: smarter, right? improve how, how it, it does these things. So, what's been your your favorite Murphy creation thus far?
2: Uh, uh, there was so uh, I I I don't know. There are so many good ones. Uh, I like when they mix someone with the Hulk from Avengers, uh, <laughs> especially if you if you get a very skinny guy and then put Hulk's face on it. I think that's a good one. I like to mix, mix our. Uh, VP's faces like uh, you get uh, Terry Mars and Scott Guthrie swap their faces, it looks really, really creepy. Um that's a good one as well. Uh if you if you look at Twitter, there is like uh, the hashtag Project Murphy. Every now and then someone finds something like some guy found that he can put people in tomatoes' faces, like so what if I was a tomato? Uh there are some really funny ones that when when you look at it.
1: So, are there things so, that you found that the the bot does that you didn't expect? Like, is this one of the things about about this sort of natural natural language natural learning stuff that you that the stuff pops out?
2: Yes, there are, there are, sometimes there's some weird stuff going on, uh, and people need to know. Like, all Murphy's is doing is really doing Bing searches. We don't control what things will come up first. Some sometimes people say, "Hey." this should never be the answer for these questions. It's kind it's, it's coming from the internet, right? It's coming from everywhere, every web page. Like, it's not like I'm telling exactly what should come, but there are cases where we try to teach Murphy. Like my, one of the things I was trying to do is making Murphy understand when I use the word you. So for example, what, if, what if you were alive? Uh, So that's a funny one because every time you ask, it kind of comes with something really different. Sometimes it comes with a robot face and a guy like with a robot face, like kind of smiling. It's kind of creepy. Um, So some uh, another one was certain expressions. If you just run a Bing search, it it doesn't really it doesn't get as as fun as you want. For example, initially people try to ask, what if dogs could fly? The could fly term is. If a search could fly on on Bing, it's too generic, right? So then we had to teach Murphy, well, it's really talking about the ability to fly. So now if you search for what if dogs could fly, usually what you get out of it is a pilot of an airplane with a dog face on it, right? So (laughs) it it tries to kind of represent that. So, So there are things we try to do to teach it better what to search on Bing. But again, it's doing what, it's searching on Bing. So it's searching on the web.
1: Cool.
0: So you, um uh, you know, conversations, this concept of conversations, it's become, I mean, it was a big, big part of build. I mean, it was a, had significant keynote time, both in day one and day two, but it's also kind of become a third pillar when we look at like Office 365 development all up. We've always had add-ins, we've had APIs and kind of this new area that we're focusing a lot on is conversations and bots fits into that nicely. You've also recently um, done some kind of proof of concept work about getting authenticated and being able to call things like the Microsoft Graph from a bot. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, this whole bot thing is, is fascinating. Like, i never seen such a huge push, uh, so many customers reaching out and saying, I want to build a bot. It's kind of like the new apps explosion. Like the bots are the new apps because once you build a bot, it can be surfaced anywhere, right? Imagine a Skype bot. I can surface it on Skype for iOS, Skype for Android, Skype Web, desktop. Um, I can use other channels. I can use email. I can use text messages. So it's it's if you think about it, is is another way you can build a cross-platform application and. So people come and say hey I want to build a bot and whenever you see this huge hype on a technology I think we developers we have to go and ask those very basic questions right is one is what problem are we trying to solve and two uh, why is this experience any better than all the other experiences what is this thing doing that the other experiences don't do and, and if you don't answer, if you don't ask those two questions Uh, you will likely build something that nobody will ever use, right? Uh, There's always important to come back to the problem you're trying to solve. And asking that question around and asking our customers what what things they are trying to do, a lot of those scenarios involve office, right? So, for example, I want to build a bot that helps me booking meetings. So I can tell the bot, hey, go talk to Richard, figure out when he has some time available, and then figure out when I have some time available in my calendar, and then go book something for us. And in order to do that, you, you need access to Office. I need a bot to be able to go and, 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 on my behalf, go read my calendar, send an email to Richard, then go read his calendar, and so on and so on. Um, turns out there is, no, there is no standard for this. Like When you are you know, on Skype or Slack, uh, that user on Slack has nothing to do with your user on Office. Right? Those are completely different identities. They have nothing common. And we need to figure a way of binding those two things together. So what we did was building a, a I'll say, a library. Like It's our ideas on how to solve that problem. So what, what this library does is, is uh, when you want to authenticate a user on a chat, we generate a hyperlink, which is a basic OAuth hyperlink. You click on that, you launch a page, you do your authentication like you would normally and after you authenticate the page generates this magic number and then you copy that number back into the chat and the reason for doing that is imagine you're using twitter or you own slack with 20 other users there is no way i can prove that the user i wanted to click on that link is the actual one who did it like any of the other 20 users could go and click on that thing so i need a way for that user to come back and say, I am really that guy. Like, I am the guy who just did it because here's my number, right? And I can prove this is really me. And that's when we bind that user from Slack with your user from Office. And then we can start doing those fun things. I can read our emails. I can read your files in OneDrive. I can go uh, talk to Azure AD and do a bunch of things. So Richard now is working on a... Office three sixty five bot, they can do a whole bunch of fun things uh based on that. They can find who is your manager, right? Uh where's the meeting room, all these fun things based on, on the access it gets to to the office.
1: That's that's awesome. Um so I guess you could ask questions like, you know, set up set up a meeting with my team. Uh, and and that would be that would be cool. It'd be easy enough to do, right? I guess the other the other thing is that uh, if you make that link available in, say, a, a a chat window with half a dozen people, each of them can click on the link, and then each of them can enter their own individual number, and then they've uh, they're all linked up to their their own uh, uh, Office three six five uh, back end or their own Active Directory back end.
2: Yeah, the thing is, it, it's a bit tricky because when you have twenty people in the same chat room. Uh, they they can all be chatting with each other or with the bot or both. And each one of them may be in the different part of the conversation. So when you think about building a bot, you're building all this logic about, well, if the user says this, then I reply with that. Then I ask this question and the user replies with that thing. You have a whole flow there. So just because the bot is asking me, to authenticate, it doesn't mean the other users are at that point where they should authenticate as well. So we may be in whole, completely different parts of the flow. Like Maybe now the bot understands that I, met, I need to authenticate, but you are still discussing a whole lot of stuff with the bot and not even there yet. So we need to kind of control individually what's going on, right? I need to understand in which steps of the conversation each user is that and, and what what happens next? And that's what it's part of what the bot framework does. It has this thing called Bot Builder where you build this sort of logic. For example, so the simplest things like uh, I need to ask you a yes no question. Uh, I send you that question and then you reply with banana, right? Well, banana is not yes or no. So I need to kind of ask you again. So, well, sorry, uh, I didn't understand that. Is, uh, is that a yes or a no? so the bot framework it does these things it it does th- those hard problems uh, that that will take you a lot of code to actually solve and, and they do it for you
0: so for the the auth bot which um, we'll have a link to the repo on github in the show notes um, it is it's also available as a github or i'm sorry a, a nuget package that you can pull into like a, a web api project what um What sort of authentication flows can a user expect to be able to, or a developer be able to leverage that for? Uh,
2: So right now we, uh, Azure, that library only works with Azure Active Directory. And uh, Azure AD has uh, these two versions of endpoints, right? The endpoint V1 and V2. V1 is the thing that most people have used today is where, you go to Azure, you register an application, then you say, my application will need access to your OneDrive and then your calendar for just reading or reading and writing. And then once the application is registered with all these permissions, uh, what the bot will do is say, hey, I need to log on this user with this app. You click on the hyperlink, you see a little consent screen that says, hey, this application will get access to these things. Are you okay with that? You say, yes. And then the bot is authenticated, right? The V2 is a little bit more, it's a newer model. It's gradually replacing the V1. And the V2 does a bunch of things, I would say better. Uh, it, it One of the things it does is when you register the application as a developer, I don't need to know which permissions my application will need. That's not relevant when you register the application. It's only relevant when your code runs. So when your code runs, that's when you say, oh, so, I'm deciding right now in runtime that I need these permissions. And then you can go ask these permissions to the user. So then uh, either way, uh, you can do many things. It's not just Office. Like, of course, you can call Office APIs. You can do Calendar, OneDrive, and a bunch of other things. But for example, another bot we are building right now is an Azure bot. And the Azure bot... uh, does a few things like, for example, imagine you are using Slack or Skype and you have your development team there and you need to stop a virtual machine. So you can say stop VM one, start VM two. And the bot does that for you because it can, it has your authentication, it can talk to Azure, it can talk to the management APIs, and you can go there and start and stop a VM. So compare that with launch the browser, go to the Azure portal, log on, find your VM, then stop it. It's way, way, way easier, right? And, and that's, it comes back to the user experience. Like, if you can build a user experience that's lower friction, that's actually easier, then people will use it. And, and that's the thing we need to always think about. And sometimes it's not even about natural language, right? This Azure bot, for example, I, I, I don't want to write, please, Azure bot, stop the virtual machine named A, B, C, D. Like, I don't want to write a lot. I just want to say, stop the M1. It's kind of command based. But it works. It solves my problem. So uh, people need to remember always: like, am I actually solving a problem here? Am I actually making something easier or better? If you are, then then for sure, users will love your bot.
0: One of the things that I thought was great is that between at least, and, and we have we have really good samples on the. If you go to bots.botframework.com, um, we have a lot of getting started information that's out there uh, for. This off bot uh, again because you've packaged it as a NuGet package. There's there's actually a there's a bot template for Visual Studio, so you can go and leverage the bot framework template. Um, add this NuGet package, and really there's very little coding beyond that. I mean, there's a little bit of um, some of those dialogues like you're mentioning to like continuation after they've authenticated. You need to handle, um, but for the most part, it's very little code you need to get up and running
2: yeah it's one of the beauties of uh the bot framework is is it solves the we 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 get so used to using user interfaces like when you think about a form with buttons and text boxes and labels it's a lot of information screen like when you remove the UI and now you're all you have is text or audio, you have to really think a lot about how to make things natural for the user. How, how do you query a database and go back and answer a question about a database if you don't have a UI, right? It's easy to do when you have Power BI, right? But what if you don't have that UI? And then it makes you think about how to get to the point, how to drive the user. And, and all those things are really, the, the guys who built the, the bot framework, they are very, very, very smart people. They are not, they are not joking around. And they built a lot of that logic in the in the bot builder. That's part of bot framework. So, for example, let's say you want to offer a menu. Like one of the examples in that in that uh, GitHub that you mentioned, they have a, a pizza ordering bot. So you have to ask things like toppings, or right? size of the pizza, what, what flavor, and blah blah blah. Each one of those things is a menu. And so let's say we have a model class, like you would normally do data binding with XAML, right? You have a model class with enums and a bunch of stuff like that. Uh, what the bot framework is, does is, is it will feel that it will ask the right questions and ask for the right answers and retry whenever necessary and do disambiguation, all these hard things. And it will fill that model class for you. So you ask questions to say, what topping do you want? And here are the options. And if you answer something that doesn't fit in one of these options, it will ask again. So, sorry, I didn't understand. Do you mean this one? And and then you will, you will do that, let's say, data binding for text-based interfaces for
1: you. That's very cool. So, Matt, how does a developer get started with bots? What's the best way to get going?
2: Well, so the best way is going to docs.botframework.com. Uh, there is some... Uh, what you find there is a couple of uh, uh, blocks. There are basically two big blocks in the bot framework. One is the connector, and the connector is like Xamarin for bots. It's what gives you the ability to build the bot once and have it talking via Skype and Slack and Kick Messenger, email, text, all the channels you want. Right? That's the connector. So that gives you the ability to build the code once and run everywhere. Uh, then the other block is the bot builder. So you have documentation for those two things there, the docs, botframework.com. And the builder has all this, this logic about dialogues, conversations, how you ask questions, how you reply, and so on. Uh, and then in that documentation, you will also see a link to this GitHub repo where they have a bunch of samples, already built bots. They have that in C Sharp and Node. So you have two options there. Cool. Cool. Uh, And then if the first step is, let's say you get one of these these bots, uh, how do you run it? Uh, You can run it locally. So it's just a web API. You can just run on Visual Studio or whatever node. And then you can even download this thing called Bot Emulator, which is a client that pretends to be a chat client, right? And you can connect locally to your web service and just start chatting to it. And then when you feel like, okay, I have something now I want to publish, you just publish on Azure as a web app And then you go to Bot Framework and you register this web app. You tell where it's your, what's your URL to call your web service, right? And then from there, just enable channels. You say, now I want that on Skype. Now I want that on email. And
0: and then just
2: enable or disable channels. Cool. Cool.
0: Are there, um, are there opportunities for developers to get more involved? I know that you know, within our org, Matt, we do a lot of things like hackathons. I know we're doing a lot of those like with partners, but like, are there broader opportunities for developers with bots right now?
2: Uh, there are lots. So we're doing lots of hackathons. Uh, next week, uh, the week of the 20th of June, we have a big Skype hackathon in San Francisco. Uh, in Palo Alto. So uh, that one is is a pretty cool one because it's not just Skype. We're going to talk about uh, bot framework, cognitive APIs, all these things that plug into the, whenever you're building a bot, you want to, for example, how do you do language understanding? When a user says something in plain English, how can you make sense out of that? So we have APIs for this. We have an API called LUIS. It's a language understanding intelligence service that does that part. Uh, so they will cover a lot of those building blocks for bots. So even if you're not building a Skype bot, it's going to be interesting uh, uh, anyway. So that's happening next week. This week, we're already having a another, there's another big event happening called Botness. Uh, so uh, there, there are literally hackathons almost every day in different places uh, organized by different companies, Uh that cover bots and I think the opportunity is huge like I, I'm, I'm talking to customers on a daily basis Everybody's exploring how bots can can help them and when you talk with uh, enterprise customers a lot of what they're talking about is really how to automate a lot of manual work right they, they, what they're really asking is I have all these things that cost me a lot of money they're really really hard to, to standardize and improve quality can I Can I automate some of that? In, I think the challenge for the developers is is how to go from that generic question to a more narrowed down kind of question. Let's say, for example, a customer tells you, hey, I want to build this advanced AI bot that can do all things help desk for my company. I want to automate an entire help desk uh, into a bot. And you can say, well, you know what? That's kind of hard, but... If you ask me, what are the common things that people ask your help desk to do? What are the top things? Well, number one is password reset. Oh, guess what? Password reset is something that's very easy to automate. It's, there is a very specific flow. There are very specific questions I need to ask your user. And once the user answers those questions, uh, there is a very specific API I need to call to reset your password. That's actually very, very easy to do. So when you start narrowing down into these low-hanging fruits, these common scenarios... Um, then it becomes super, super interesting to think about bots because they actually do solve many of those problems.
0: That's awesome, man. Well, um, I know that you are super busy with all those hackathons. I know you had to slip away to to do this call, and I really appreciate it. Um, I'm excited to see what the community does with... With bots, we'll have links in the show notes to all kinds of things. So the uh, we'll we'll have a link to things like the bot directory for the bot framework. There's already a number of really cool bots you can go check out, like the Murphy bot. Um, and we'll also have links to the Auth bot, so that you could pull that in. I'm thinking we might even do a like an Office Dev show on Channel 9 or something on that to show how easy it is to get going um, and being able to authenticate and call into things like the graph from a bot. So Lots of awesome information, and Matt, super thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Awesome. Well, we'll have to get you on again sometime soon. I know there's other cool things like uh, the CurveJS stuff you've been working on, so hopefully we'll get you back on here soon. All right, thank you. All right, thanks, guys. Uh, Talk to you guys next week. Well, that's all for this week. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all our podcasts, the developer program, and other amazing content. Also, make sure you follow us at Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. Until next week, get your code on.